1: Well, you may have heard a French company by the name of Havas has just scooped up one of Australia's leading indie media agencies, Highland. We're about to find out why and what's next, but Havas is an interesting communications group in that it sits in the top six global marketing services firms, but unlike the rest, it's owned by an entertainment and content giant by the name of Vivendi, controlled ultimately by the French billionaire industrialist Vincent Bellore. That could mean it might do things a bit differently. So with us today to answer that question and more, is Havas Media's Australian Chair, Mike Wilson, Havas Media Group CEO, Matt Holtham, and the acquired Virginia Highland, MD of what is now Highland Media Division at Havas Media. So welcome to you all on this august occasion. Uh, Mike Mike Wilson, we might go to you first. Um, As we mentioned, Havas is a little bit different in terms of its ownership structure. It's part of that big Vivendi Group. Tell us a little bit about whether that means anything different for Havas and its client portfolio, maybe compared to some the other holding companies. Do you do anything differently?
0: Thanks, Paul. Yes, Vivendi and our ownership is a little bit different, I think, from the other holding companies. Um, when you look at the landscape and look at the other holding companies, they are squarely in the, the world of Marcoms. And as you rightly said in your intro, um, we're part of a giant entertainment content conglomerate um for those people who aren't familiar familiar with vivendi to give you a flavor of that they're the owners of the biggest record company in the world universal music a movie studio studio canal very significant player they own tv networks in europe such as uh, uh, canal plus daily motion which is a video streaming platform competitor to youtube so very very different we own gaming companies interestingly we own venues Ticketing companies, so it's a very, very different ecosystem, you might say, than um, the, the other holding companies. Um, the second part of your question, the answer is yes, we really do intend to behave differently and do a different type of work um, to the other companies that you mentioned. Um, I think it's fair to say we're at an early stage of that because the operational entities of Vivendi and us. Havas- have only really come together in the last 18 months or so. However, I can give you I can give you some clues if you like.
1: Yes, please do because
0: that that is important. The clues are important about what we may see from you, Mike Wilson. Okay. Well, here's a big clue for you, Paul. If those of you who like your uh, your punk music, go look up a, a thing called the Slaves Long Live the Local campaign. Slaves are a, a a rock band from the UK and a campaign they did earlier, about 12 months ago, out of London called Long Live the Local, supporting live music in, in pubs. Why that's, why that's significant and why it's a bit of a clue is because that was the brainchild of Havas Us London, the creative agency. Um, it's a universal music band. Um, it was a Havas Us client, and One Green Bean part of the Havas Village, as you know, in Australia as, as well, um, did all the, the, the PR work around that as well. And that to me is just one example of the sort of configuration that we can look for, forward to seeing in terms of some of our output. Crucially for Australia, I'm really excited to say that in the last quarter of this year, um, COVID notwithstanding, there are at least two campaigns that will be coming into market um, from the Havas Village. I'm not going to steal the thunder right now before the big reveal, but very excited that sort of similar work using all the different assets will be coming into the Australian market.
1: You, You could tell us and we'll keep it really quiet. I could, you're quite right. But you're not going to? No. No. So the client that was uh, that you talk
0: about in London with the with the the slaves, who was it? So it was a collective of uh, it was an alcohol beer collective company that was trying to keep people in pubs. Right. And this was a campaign where the asset wasn't a traditional media or advertising asset. The asset was the band, and uh, Havas came up with the, the strategy, shot the video, pushed it out through the socials, and obviously used different entities within the village to do that. And different configurations of the, the Havas Village companies are looking at projects and. projects Programs, Some similar to that, some, in, some entirely different. But I can confidently say you're going to see the fruits of that in a matter of weeks. And was that the
1: strategic intent from the get-go for uh, Vivendi, well, for the Bolores, for instance, to, to blend uh, Havas with, uh, with Vivendi, was to, 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 do, to do this very
0: thing? Absolutely. so if you if you think of the history of advertising and media companies, traditionally what we've done is we've interrupted what people are watching and consuming. Um, the landscape's much more complex than that as everybody knows, and it's absolutely our avowed intention to participate in what people are consuming as well. So um, you can look forward to to seeing sort of embedded content which in itself is not a particularly new concept, but we've now got the infrastructure and and the weight to be able to deliver that.
1: Look forward to uh, sort of pursuing that a little bit more, Mike. But to the acquisition de jour, which is um, quite French of me, I think. Almost almost, almost sounded French, Paul. Right. So uh, to the acquisition de jour, which is Highland, why Highland and why now, Mike? It's it's sort of one interesting timing in that we're in the middle of, of COVID uh, and you've still gone ahead with something. So um, there's a sign there. But uh, what is it about Highland and what is it about an acquisition that you're doing in Australia now that, that makes sense?
0: So two parts, I think. Are pertinent in that area firstly Havas media you have to remember is only six years old so unlike all of the other holding companies who've had media brands media agency brands in the market in some cases for decades we're pretty we're pretty new so formed only six years ago we are we hope, still on a growth trajectory. It's been a pretty strong growth in that period. And during that time, we've always been open to look to potential strategic partnerships um, that deliver against those, those business objectives. And fr- frankly, um, Matt and I have been uh, aware of uh, various potential opportunities in the market over a number of years, but none of them have been as perfect as Highland. And so Virginia and I have um, a relationship that goes back 20 or so years. We know each other very well. I know that Virginia and her team are a perfect uh, fit for Havas and what we're trying to do. The second part, which which you say, is a a real clue. Obviously, the conversation started before COVID hit, but I think it's a real sign of our, our strength and our commitment that, even despite all the impacts of COVID that everybody is suffering from, our parent company um, stuck to their guns. We're happy to see the strategy through and we're really, really happy to welcome Highland, uh, the Highland team into to have us in the next couple of weeks.
1: Well, Virginia, uh, Mike says you've known him. You've known each other for twenty years. I'm not sure that you're that old. Mike might well be, but why? Uh, you know, I'm sure over the over the course of the recent years you've you've entertained people coming to talk about a possible acquisition. Clearly, you've said no until now. Why Havas? What What is it about Havas that you went? Yes, I like that.
2: Look, yeah, it's true. I ha- I do look very young for my <laughs> age, and it's it's true. I have known the lovely Mike Wilson for for twenty years. You yeah, I wasn't actually looking to be acquired by another global holding group, to be honest. But the reality is, you know, what you get to do over those years is you get to really understand all of the global holding group strategies, how they treat people in the industry, the way they support entrepreneurs, or whether they they have a complete disinterest or the way Um, that independents run their businesses. Uh, And, you know, talking with Mike and and, and knowing how he operates and the Havas team operate over the years, I've come to learn, you know, how they embrace entrepreneurs into their business. And that happens all around the world. So whenever they're acquiring businesses, they're retaining those indie owners in those businesses. You only have to look at Host Havas and and many businesses further afield. So that was a, a real appeal for me, because I'm not done with what I want to do, and I really want to prove, you know, what an Indy can do on a, on a greater scale. And that was really, you know, enticing for me to come in and still run Highland as a division of Havas, and also have that opportunity to grow with all that fantastic support. The other part that was really important to me is over the years, we've developed and changed the way Highland uh, works with clients. We were a plain media agency for a long time. And then in 2008, when the GFC hit, uh, we were speaking to clients who were very frustrated about having to change their global creative and localise it with a new creative agency in Australia at a higher cost. And so we started to uh, develop a creative and social team. And within six months of doing that, we had clients like Cody who look after Mark Jacobs, Chloe... Rimmel and Covergirl, as well as Waterford Wedget and Royal Dalton coming to us saying, we want you to not only help us with our media, but also developing our content and creative locally. So what I loved about the Havas Village is that all of these amazing specialists who operate the way we do belong in the village. And it's the only global business in Australia that truly operates as one company under one roof with all of these fantastic specialisations. Uh, and, And importantly as well, you know, if you look at their digital and performance offering, it's incredibly strong. So not only do they integrate so well between creative and media channels, but also they have their performance, their data, their CX and their UX teams that also integrate into conversations with clients. So being in the one place, being embraced as an independent owner and also being embraced as a female independent owner which is you know incredibly important as well was, was something that really a- appealed to me.
1: So with that indie monica which you talked about a few times there uh, is, is it ominous though you've you've sold out you've you know you're gone into a big group is it ominous for other indies in the indie sector that virginia highland who's been around with an indie agency for a long time has now gone to a global uh, monster although perhaps it's french so it's a little bit more classy. <laughs>
2: They're much more classy, much more classy, Paul. Um, I don't think it's ominous at all for indies. I mean, what a fantastic opportunity for an indie to build a business, develop an offering that's quite new and modern in the market, and then have the appeal of a global come in and say, look, we want you to work with us now. Um, I haven't sold out of my clients. I haven't sold out of my team. We're all going into this together, uh, all with great support from both our clients and our team. Uh, what it means for me is that, you know, financially, yes, I get to pay off part of my mortgage and not have to worry about the effects of COVID, uh, but it gives me the opportunity to, to drive new growth and opportunities and invest in the team that we have and, and build a better opportunity. So as an indie, I think it's a fantastic time to, to be in the market, to be, you know, talking to global organisations. And certainly we bring our independent spirit. You can't get rid of that, Paul, out of, the, out of an indie team. So um,
1: we'll be bringing that well and truly into the business. Matt Holtham, why uh, Highland from your perspective, uh, and how long do you expect Virginia to be around uh, post-acquisition?
3: Oh, I expect Virginia to be around for decades. I think uh, you know, the, the core thing for us is that um, it's a wonderful cultural fit, and I think that's the first and most important thing when you're looking at any of these kind of acquisitions. If you, if you don't have a good cultural fit, it's doomed to fail from the start. And I think, as Virginia pointed out before, um, Havas has a has a history of bringing in entrepreneurs and, and nurturing them within the family and many if not most of them are still around years and years later after those deals are done and I think Virginia hopefully will be around for a long time as part of the Havas family.
1: Well the problem now Matt is that you are on the record with that so we can come back and revisit.
3: <laughs> you, you, can, you can indeed. I said I hoped not promised. <laughs> yes um, you did. Uh, look I think from a um, capability perspective I'm, I'm very excited about what Virginia and the team uh, bring to the vast media. I think, you know, as well as bring us some more scale so that we can get a chance to perhaps uh, present ourselves at, at the top end of town and some bigger pitches, there's also a real complementary set of skills. And I think that, again, is the other key um, element that I was excited about when we started to talk to Virginia because the depth of her content capability, as well as the strength of their, you know, traditional media planning and buying, is a great addition to the team. Um, and there's a kind of host of things that we can offer to our respective client bases, if you like, through our own centers of excellence, Virginia's called out performance marketing, um, Havas Sports and Entertainment, again, is another really strong part of our business. It's all about partnerships and CSR um, and activation of, of sponsorships and IP. And, and that's a really pertinent offering to Virginia's client portfolio. Um, and obviously, her content skills and the depth of expertise there is, is a really great build on some of the content work that we've already been doing through HSE, primarily in the in the media part of the business.
1: Matt, what does the structure look like? How is Highland going to operate inside Havas Media. I think it's its own
3: division. Is that right? It is. Is I think uh, Virginia's already called out. So Virginia will come in and be the managing director of the Highland division within Havas Media. So we're going to bring the team in. We're going to let the team settle in and carry on You know, doing what they do. They're an incredibly successful team. We don't want to disrupt that. We want to make sure that we are bringing together the two teams in a way that um, ensures it's kind of bigger than the individual groups would be. But we're certainly not going to do anything to disrupt the success that they've had so far in the short term.
1: So that's about 30 30 or 40 people, is that right, from Highland come in?
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right, Paul, yeah. 35 coming in.
3: Okay. And Matt, then
1: um, how does that work with the Havas Village? Because I imagine there'll be some sort of duplication and what Virginia's uh, business does with what you've already got. How do you manage that? Do you have crossover and duplication?
3: Uh, well, I think there's crossover in, in, you know, areas like content naturally through the businesses because um, uh, each of the the businesses has their own need for content. that Obviously, a creative agency is all about producing content, but it's of a different kind of scale and capability uh, to what's produced out of the media business. So I, I talked about HSE already producing content. We make uh, things that look like ads for a lot of our Havas sports and entertainment clients, and we have done for years in the same way that Virginia does for her client base. Uh, equally, our PR agencies produce content to suit the needs of, of PR and influencer marketing. So I don't think there's any uh, challenge in having content produced in different parts of the businesses because it's all produced through the lens of um, the needs of the discipline uh, that it's being created for, if you like.
1: To Mike and Matt, I guess, first is that uh, if we go back to the holding company conversation, many of your rivals, your larger rivals, are uh, racing towards building out and reinventing around tech platforms and tech providers. Uh, you know, whether it be MarTech, customer experience, automation, it's it's a really big move by many of your rivals doing this. Is this something that you guys, that your business that Havas sees globally as something it needs to do? Will it acquire or is it a different skill set that Havas needs to do beyond
3: what we're seeing from your rivals? Mike, maybe I'll start with that and then I'm sure you'll have your own slightly different perspective on it. Do we think that stuff's important? Uh, of course. Do we think it's the be all and end all? Uh, absolutely not. I think it's very easy to get a little bit of tech myopia and to focus on the kind of delivery tools and platforms and lose sight of the ideas that help to to bring great communications to life. So our view is very much about balancing the needs of technology um, with the needs of great ideas and creativity, whether that's in a traditional creative sense or, or in a media sense. So We have a strong MarTech, CX, e-commerce, however you want to pull those things together capability already within the media team and within the broader village. So um, we're already investing in those areas. I think for us, there is a a balancing act to be had about making sure that you have all the technology and data skills to help to deploy comms effectively. But you're also making sure that the strategic part of the process up front is spot on so that you're doing the right thing.
1: Mike, I might ask you and reframe it for you in that if you look historically at the marketing services giants, media owners and media has been a very core part of what they've done. You could almost argue now that that media has been usurped somewhat by the technology companies and platforms when that's just not about Google or Facebook, that's about the Salesforce, Adobe's um, oracles and all those those sort of marketing cloud and service cloud services, et cetera. Is it fair to observe that uh, media might be being usurped by technology companies first? And then secondly, what is your take on the future of media uh, and what's going on there? Big question. Big questions for a big mind.
0: Nice small question to finish with there, Paul. But the reality is, as I said at the beginning, we're, we're pretty new in the space. Of course, we... We've launched our business as a digital company and a tech-centric company, and we've always been that from day one, and we've had a degree of success there. Is it being usurped? No, it's not. It's doing what media always does with any technological innovation, is it's morphing and it's changing, and it's changing constantly. And we've talked a lot today about our cross collaborative um, DNA and how we work with other partner agencies. The other reality is we have to stand on our own two feet as a best-in-class media agency, um, because there's still there's still business out there to be won and fought for with other strong media agency competitors. So we have to constantly be evolving, evolving, investing, and indeed I would say actually the sort of the Martech area um, is something where we've we've had a, a, quite a degree of success, you know, in our short history. So no, we're not afraid of it. The only thing, to answer your your big question, to which of course there is no answer, Paul, the What we do is we just want to make sure that we're smart, we are solving our clients' problems, we're acting as partners, we're aware of what the trends are, and we're investing all, all the right partnerships to allow us to give the best possible solutions for our clients. If our clients are happy, our people are happy, everyone's happy. I'm, I'm a simple man, Paul, and that's uh, ultimately what it's all about.
1: It's very clear you are, Mike, but that's a good <laughs> answer. Just to go back, though, media owners, media, media, the media sector is under a lot of pressure. You go back. A long way in media. How, how much optimism, or not, should the media sector have about its future, given the the pressures we are seeing on that on on, on all those companies now? This is a
0: pretty tough time to answer that question. Um, everyone, there's there's a lot of pain in the industry, on all sides, but particularly with media owners who've seen very significant revenue hits, as we all know, for for obvious reasons. However, I'm uh, I'm ever optimistic, and it's interesting. I think my observation is when I've been talking to what we might call the traditional legacy media businesses over the last few months, there's for obvious reasons a lot of doom and gloom. But when you talk to some of the more innovative entrepreneurial businesses and some of those leaders who are are in fact still within the traditional companies there's opportunity um, to be found one thing we know is there's going to be a very significant bounce back it's hard to put an exact timing on when that might happen i think we're all hopeful that will be um in the next calendar year. But with that bounce back will definitely come opportunity. And, you know, it's uh, survival of the most adaptable. It's certainly gonna be true that it's not necessarily gonna be the biggest.
1: Uh, Virginia, on that, because Mike did talk about sort of the, the mood at the moment, uh, from your perspective, client mood and uh, and behaviour, what have they de- been doing through COVID? What have you seen at, at, at your end about what's changed through COVID? Uh, and then we'll ask everyone just sort of a bit of a, what's, what's next to wrap up? But the mind and mood of the client, uh, Virginia.
2: Yeah, I think, Paul, at the beginning, when it was the end end of March, there was panic, worry, fear, concern, and a lot of clients retracted. Uh, And then as we got through to May and June, they started to relax and and see hope for the future again. But um, what we've discovered along the way is that the importance of media now is because audiences aren't dwelling in store. They're not wanting to stand around and browse and shop. That media has actually served a, a greater purpose than ever before because the only way to get new news and new information out to market is through the media because they're simply not standing around in store and considering different different areas. So all of a sudden there was a shift where it was incredibly important, more important than ever, no matter what type of a, a retail premise it was that um, you use the media to actually get the message out there as consumption of media went through the roof. So we're seeing now in this last uh, quarter of the year, enormous pickup from all of our clients across the board, um, you know, funneling enormous um, spend back into to media channels, whether they be digital or whether they be above the line, there's a real sense of um, urgency now to make up ground for where they may have lost ground during that period. And uh, there's a sense of, you know, buoyancy. And I think if you look at the share price, even of some of the media companies, it's bouncing upwards again. If you look at 7 and O with their results coming out this week. Uh, in fact, it really didn't hurt their share price too much at all. In fact, some of them had a bounce upwards, even though they had significant losses. So, you know, there, there is a buoyancy now back in the market um, with, with clients and also, you know, with shareholders of those media companies, believing that the best is to come now. We're past the worst and the best is, is in front of us.
1: What is that? And I'm going to ask Matt the same question, but what does that look like, Virginia? You you mentioned earlier about performance media and, and, you know, we've got this ongoing uh, valid and important discussion and debate about, you know, performance, bottom of the funnel, demand generation versus brand and mid-funnel and all those fabulous things we talk about in marketing. Um, What is the nature of the spend you're seeing coming through for that December quarter? What does it look like? Is it performance? A mix of what?
2: Interestingly, at the beginning, Paul, of the the period it was focused on performance media, but now there's a recognition that it's a great opportunity to bring people who never considered your brand to, you know, forward to actually consider purchasing your your, your product. So we're now seeing brand building and messaging uh, around the top of the funnel, uh, pushing then very directly to the bottom of the funnel to make sure that people are purchasing. But brand ca- ca- uh, messaging, you know, um, we're seeing people like KitchenAid, who have got some really strong brand messages going out the top of the funnel and a cracking e-commerce um, campaign at the bottom. And so it's the top and the bottom working in simultaneously together that we're seeing is actually having the biggest traction, more traction than, than ever before.
1: Matt, that's that's Virginia's client uh, portfolio. Would you say the same for the, 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 the brands that are sitting
3: inside Havas now? Yeah, I think we're certainly seeing a return to, to spend in Q3 and Q4. And I think while initially we saw Um, shall we say, a hesitant return, which tended to have smaller budgets and more of a skew to digital channels, it's coming back to normal now. And I think we're seeing a broader spread across the whole funnel. And I think You know, there's been so much debate going on through COVID uh, about the long and the short of it and the necessity to spend in a recession, all of that kind of good stuff. You know, common sense marketers know that they need to return to spending to stimulate that reappraisal and the kind of audience expenditure that's critical to them. And I was in a conversation with a client today and, and his own version of that language was we need to continue to build sales overnight for the brand to grow over time. And I think that's, you know, absolutely what we all need to focus on and that's certainly the behavior we're seeing from our clients.
1: To wind up, I'll go to the chairman. So Mike Wilson, in terms of acquisitions, is this it, uh, is Highland it, or is there something else in the, in the, in the wings that uh, you're gonna tell us about now?
0: I'm gonna keep you hanging, Paul. The, re- the reality is if there's something out there, there's somebody out there that we think's a good compliment for the Havas group, something can enhance our capabilities or build on what we've got. The, uh, the door is always open, but I'm not going to mention any names just yet. Um, so the checkbook is open, just not signed. We're always open to discussions with appropriate potential partners, Paul. Well put.
1: Well, look, it's been a, a very fast but great conversation about why and what for Indies and, and, and a different holding company. I think that's sort of what struck struck me is that there is a bit of a difference here and um, and that's not a bad thing. So, so to Mike Wilson, uh, Matt Holtham and Virginia Highland, the best, of the best for the new integration. I, when, we won't get to when it's happening but it'll be very soon, I'm sure, and I look forward to sort of following up on how it all goes um stay safe thanks
0: paul thanks
1: mi3 audio edition was presented by paul mcintyre that's moi in collaboration with podcast one australia producer nick slater music by matt Dwyer. for more episodes go to podcastone.com.au or search mi3 audio edition on apple podcasts and hit the subscribe button